Well, good morning, Northland. It is good to be with you. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we are concluding our Northland 2.0 series this weekend. Now, yes, on February 19th, so next Sunday evening, we will have a vision night. So we're going to share some values with you and then some goals that we have for the remainder of 2023. It's already hard to believe we're already in February. This year is going by quickly. Well, so as, as I was thinking about where we we're going today, I had this question that I, I wrote down. Well, what are some moments in life where you might say, what in the world do I do now? What in the world do I do now? So I was thinking about this question, what in the world do I do now? And some of those moments and a couple of moments just came to my mind. I remember when I was grounded years, years ago growing up, uh, BB is what my is what my kids refer to my mom as. So my mom, Debbie, she actually goes here. She's not here this weekend, which is why I'm sharing this. So she would, she, she, she would ground me. And now, you know, in, in the 80s and, and early 90s, you, you know, so when she grounded me, no TV, no Nintendo. And, and then we didn't even have little gaming, other devices. I don't think Game Boys came into later. I didn't even have a Game Boy. And so I'm like, what do I do? And she's like, I don't care what you do. You just twiddle your thumbs. I don't care. You're grounded. And I'm thinking, my gosh, wow. All right. So what, what in the world do you do when you are grounded? And so I know that we got some teenagers up in, in, in the house today. And so I know that you're thinking to yourself, what do you do when you are grounded? You think about what you did to earn that grounding. That's what you need to do. Because I, I, I had learned that. Uh, another thing that comes to my mind is, all right, so when, when you like a girl and you want to take it to the next level. Now, and I'm going to share how I took it to the next level with Joni, but I was thinking about a pickup line for all of those of you who are single. So guys, here, here's a pickup line. This is free. I'm not charging you for it, but I was thinking about it this week. No, I did not download it on the internet. And if it is on the internet, I promise you I did not find it there. So here it is. Here's the pickup line. I was thinking about if you are a guy and you, you want to approach a girl, you want to take it to the next level, you want to ask her out, you go up to her and you say, man, I really thought you were an angel, but I don't see the wings. But thinking about wings, you want to go get some? That was free. That was free. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Now, I like boneless wings. I don't, I, don't, I, don't want the, I don't want the chicken on the bone. No, I, just, I, I feel like a caveman when I eat chicken on the bone. So, Joni, no lie. Uh, this is one of the things that I just love about my wife is that she understands my pickiness when it comes to chicken on the bone. And so, uh, anyway, I want to tell you what she does, too. So, yeah, and so uh, I'm moving right along. So, here's, here's something that, that did happen. So, when Joni and I, we met one another, we were introduced by her, her younger sister and we, we were in two separate locations. I was in Millington, which is right outside of Memphis. Joni had just graduated because she's a couple of years older. She had just graduated from Sanford, moved back home to Atlanta. And so I was on staff. I was a youth pastor. And our entire staff, we were going down to Atlanta at the church where Joni's parents were on staff for a pastor's conference. So I meet Joni one night. And as I'm talking to her, I ask her, I'm like, hey, a few of us, we're going out to dinner tomorrow. Would, would you like 
like to go. Now, God in his sovereignty, he orchestrated this. I didn't. So the next day comes and no one else goes to dinner except me and Joni. And then we're at this restaurant called Carabas. And I'm thinking to myself, what in the world do I do now? And so I'm, I'm on this somewhat date. Maybe not, but I'm, I'm, I'm single and I'm looking. So here's what I do. I start grilling her with questions. I enter into interview mode to see if she is wife material. So I'm asking her, what are your passions in life? What do you see yourself doing in five years? What, what is your favorite scripture verse? And, and, and every answer she, I mean, I mean, I'm talking about this is a woman after my own heart. I mean, this is amazing. God, are you doing something here? This is our first, first like dinner at least together. And then this is what sold me. Church, you want to know what sold me on Joni? She paid for the meal. <laughs> so and here's the thing, I'm getting ready to pay. And she's like, no, 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 you, you save your money. You are a poor youth pastor. I, I'm a nurse, you're still in college. Because Joni, like I said, she's a couple years older. And, and so, so she's out of college. She's nursing. I'm still in college. And, and I'm a youth pastor. And she's like, no, you, you just save your money. And I went home. And I, I, I leave from Atlanta. I go back home. I told my mama. I said, I met the woman of my dreams. <laughs> and this year would be 20 years. But I love my wife. I absolutely <laughs> love my wife. But I... But yeah, I was thinking, yeah, I was just thinking about, yeah, what in the world do you do now? You say, Josh, what, what does this have to do with where we're going? Well, last week we learned about the, the why we exist. And if you want to answer that question, why do you exist as an individual or why do we exist as a church? You, you actually got to go in search of who brought you into existence. Because whoever brought you into existence is going to determine your why you exist. Now, we, we, we learn our, our why, and I'll, I'll restate the mission statement here in just a second, but I, I want to I share with you the, the main point that we're going to unpack, and then you'll see a statement under the main point. But here's the statement. Your what flows from your why. So what you do in life flows from your why you exist for this life. And then I love the little statement. If you don't know your why, you'll wing your what. I know it sounds a little nasty, but I don't mean it like that way. But, but you'll wing your what? And I think there's a lot of people in this world right now winging their what because they don't know their why. And I think there's a lot of churches out there, they wing their what? They have a lot of ministries, they have a lot of programs, and they're doing a lot of this what, but they forget the why they exist. And, and church, we, we need to know our why. But after we know our why, we need to figure out what it is we do to accomplish our why. Because if you think about those moments in life where you think, what in the world do I do now? What you, what you actually need to start thinking about if you want to know what, you need to go back to the why. So, so even though I jokingly, and I did, Joni will tell you, I interviewed her that evening. Didn't mean to, but I was asking all these questions because for me, the reason for dating is to see if you are compatible for marriage. And, and so, that, so that's why I was asking all of these questions because my why determined my what. And so last week we 
unveiled our new mission statement. Now, I don't expect you to have memorized it in a week because there's a staff member. His name starts with a D and his last name starts with an A and he's still having trouble. But we're, we're working with him. We're working with him. I'm patient, being patient and kind with our executive pastor to the senior pastor, Derwin Anderson. <laughs> I love him too. But here's our, here's our mission statement. Northland Church exists to glorify God as we participate in his mission of redeeming a people from all peoples by engaging neighbors and nations to be fully alive in King Jesus through the power of the Spirit. That is our why. And after we as a staff nailed down our why, and this was months ago, this was last summer, after we had nailed down our mission statement, then we turned to our vision. And our vision is what we want to see, what we want to do to accomplish our mission. And so we took all of those mission texts that you saw last week, and what we did as a staff, so all of the pastors and directors, they went through all of these mission texts, and we labeled the action verbs, the action verbs. And so here's a picture of all of the action verbs that we had and again, you can see Genesis 1, Genesis 12, all of these action verbs. And then you can see Exodus 19, Jeremiah 29, Acts 1-8, Matthew 28, Acts 2, Revelation 21. You, you, you have all of these mission passages and we listed out all the action verbs. Now, after we got all of these action verbs down, the homework assignment that they had was, can you take all of those action verbs and condense them down into four or five main verbs that each one of them would fit under, or at least one of the areas that they would fit under. So it was, a, it was a fun homework assignment. And so we came back together and the following week, we, we started to throw out some, some big, more again, kind of big action verbs that would, would put all of these other action verbs under. And then, and then what we wanted to do, because I am a pastor, that's what God has called me to, so I love alliteration. And I'm like, all right, so what, what can we create that would be alliterated where people, it would be easy for people to remember? And we came up with the four C's. And these four C's, again, they are based upon all of these mission texts. And these become now our big buckets of what we do to accomplish our why. And here they are. We're going to connect with God and others. We're going to cultivate disciples and leaders. We're going to care for people and resources. And we are going to commission people to reach neighbors and nations. So those are the four things we do. Connect, cultivate, care, and commission. Now, th this message that, that I'm delivering today, it, it will serve a twofold purpose. The first purpose is to unpack the four C's, to tell you about the four C's. And at the very end, I'm going to show you all of the staff here at Northland, all of the pastors and directors. And we have a lot of support staff under them. But I want, to, I want you to see all of the pastors and directors that have been tasked with our what so that we can accomplish our why. So, so that's, a, that's a kind of the first purpose that we have is to unpack the four C's. The second purpose of this message is to reintroduce the book of Acts, 
Because next week, we will go back to the book of Acts. You say, back? Yeah, so before I even was called to be the senior pastor here at Northland, Pastor Gus had started a series in the book of Acts called Empowered. And so next week, we will go back into the book of Acts. We will start with Acts chapter 5, and we'll actually do that again because I love preaching on Ananias and Sapphira. Well, well tell us all about Ananias and Sapphira. Oh, you, you'll learn all about them next week. And so that's the second purpose is to reintroduce the book of Acts. Now, the thing that I love about the book of Acts, particularly in Acts 2, 42 through 47, is it gives us a picture of a revolutionary church. Because what I love to see in the, the book of Acts is how the gospel, how the good news of King Jesus, and what, what, is, what is the good news of King Jesus, Josh? It's the good news that the cosmic king Jesus Christ, he has come to make all things new. And he's made that possible through his death and his resurrection. And so this, this gospel that Jesus brings, this good news that makes us new, it brings about a revolution in our life. Like revolution can be defined in at least two ways. First, a revolution can be a drastic and far-reaching change in ways of thinking and behaving. So I want you to think about when, when you repented of your sin and you placed your faith and trust in Jesus and, and he saved you and he sent the spirit of God to live inside of you, giving you his nature. So I want you to think about the drastic and far-reaching change. So now that Jesus lives inside of you and he's forgiven you, now your heart becomes his heart. Your mind becomes his mind. Your life becomes his life. Now, don't you think that if Jesus is controlling your life, your heart, and your mind, it will be a drastic and far-reaching change in ways of thinking and behaving? Absolutely. Gospel revolution. But then the second definition of revolution can be an overthrow of a government, power, or social order, and an institution of another one. That's exactly what happens when you repent of your sin and you place your faith and trust in Jesus as king is that he now leads your life. He guides your life. He is the authority in your life. If he says jump, you say how high. If he says crawl, you say how far. I mean, he is in authority now. It has overthrown the power that once was, which was you. But now it's him. And so what we see in Acts 2, 42 through 47, is a picture of a revolutionary church, a church that has experienced this drastic and far-reaching change in ways of thinking and behaving, a, a church that is completely sold out and surrendered to Jesus as king. And I want you to know, Northland, this is the kind of church we strive to be, a revolutionary church. Amen. Amen. All right, so will you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word and we read about the picture of a revolutionary church. And within this revolutionary church, we will see the four C's actually embedded. Verse 42, they. Now, who are they? Well, we know that Jesus, he took upon himself 12 disciples. One of the disciples didn't make it, Judas. But then in Acts 1, they replace Judas with Matthias. And then also in Acts 1, you do read that there are 120 people in the upper room. And now at the end of chapter 2, right before, right before we see they devoted themselves, we do read that after Peter preached, 3,000 people came to know Jesus. So now do the math. 
3,000 plus 120 would be 3,120. So they refers to the 3,100 and what? 20. I'm glad you can do the math. Here we go. So they devoted themselves. They, they attached themselves. They persisted in. They were faithful to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonder, wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would be glorified for we exist, we exist to glorify you. Jesus, I pray that you would be the center of this message because the only way we can glorify our Father is through you. And so we pray that you would be the center of our life. You would be the center of Northland. You would be the center of this message and that our hearts and our minds would be directed to and attuned to you. And Spirit, we pray that you would go to work ministering in our midst and that in, that in your ministry you would shape and conform followers of Jesus more into his image. And I pray, Spirit, that, that those who are far from Jesus you would bring them near, that they would see Jesus' beauty, they would see his grace, they would see his forgiveness, they would see his power to make all things new, to even make their life new. And I pray, Spirit, that you would do a work in their life to draw them to Jesus. I pray that we would all leave differently than when we came as a result of God, your presence and power at work in our life. And it's in your name we pray, our King. Amen. You may be seated. So let me unpack the four C's here in... Acts 2, 42 through 47. Number one, to accomplish our why, we will connect with God and others. To accomplish our why, we will connect with God and others. So we see the early church, they're devoting themselves to a few things. But I want you to note how they are devoting themselves to the fellowship. Now, the word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. It means the community. It means the body of believers. And they're devoting themselves to the fellowship. It is an oxymoron to say that you are a follower of Jesus detached from his church. Because when you are saved, when Jesus saves you, when you repent of your sin and you place your faith and trust in Jesus as Savior and King, not only does he save you to himself, he saves you to his body. And so what we see at the, you know, in the early church is that they're devoting themselves to one another, to the body. I'll say it even this way. When, when Jesus comes back again and we see him establish the new city here on planet earth, I promise you this, you are not going to get a little shack in the far-flung corners of the new city separated from everybody. It's just not going to happen because it will be the people of God there com com communing together as they connect with God. 
And so if that's not going to happen at the end, then it doesn't need to be happening in the present. You need to be connected to a local body, a local church body, and you need to devote yourself to that local church body. Here is what's interesting. Joseph Hellerman, in his book, When the Church Was a Family, he notes three central social values of the Mediterranean world at the time of Jesus. And here the, here, here's these values. The group took priority over the individual. So the group took priority. Now understand we live, we live in the West, we live in the U.S., and in our context, the individual trumps the group. That is not what's happening in the early church. The group trumps the individual. The group is more important than the individual. And then a person's most important group was his family. So one of the things that you see in the New Testament is how the church is referred to as the household of God. The church is the family of God. So when, when you came to know Jesus, you actually got a new family. And I know what some of you are thinking, maybe even online, well, that family's jacked up and dysfunctional. Well, listen, you jacked up and dysfunctional too, so come join us. Like we're not perfect. We're in the process of being conformed more into the image of Jesus, but we're family. And I would say every single one of us, we come from a jacked up dysfunctional family. Church is no different. And then third, the closest family bond in the Mediterranean world was the bond between siblings, which is why in the New Testament, what you see the church comprised of is brothers and sisters in Christ. We are a new family. And this is the most important relationship, our, our brothers and sisters, the closest family bond. And so Luke is painting this picture that they're devoting themselves to their new family, to the fellowship. Second, they're devoting themselves to the breaking of bread. Now I'm going to give you an English lesson because I'm so great at English coming from the South. But I learned years ago the difference between a definite article and an indefinite article. Well, we see here to the breaking of bread. So it means something specific. So what was the specific breaking of bread? It was communion or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist. So, so now they're connecting to the body, to the fellowship. And as they come together to connect with the fellowship through the breaking of bread, they are connecting with God. Now here at Northland, we have chosen to interpret communion and how often we should do it to once a month. So we know that there are some churches, they do it every week. Some churches do it once a quarter. We have chosen to do it once a month. And here's the reason why we have chosen to do it once a month, because we don't want it to become routine where it's an every week thing, where it's just something routine that we do, where, where it loses its meaning. But we also want to do it, we also want to do it often in a way where it's fresh every month, where we are preaching the gospel to ourselves. Because when we take of the Lord's Supper, like we did last week, there are at least three things we are doing. We are remembering what Jesus did through his death and his resurrection. We are renewing our commitment to him by committing our lives to him. And then we are anticipating his return. So we're remembering, we are renewing, and then we are anticipating his return. That he's coming back for his bride. And so, but this is a way at, at the table, the breaking of bread, communion is a way that together we are connecting with God. And then we see that they were devoted to the prayers. 
Now, what are they praying? Oh, we don't know, but many scholars would believe that the Lord's prayer that Jesus taught his disciples was definitely a prayer that the early church prayed. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So many scholars would say that that's at least a prayer that the early church prayed every time they connected with one another so they would come together and connect with God. And then the last thing that we see in terms of connection in verse 46 is that they met together in the temple courts. Now this is fascinating. I want us to realize if you don't already that the church was never to replace the temple. It was supposed to continue on because again here's the early church. Where are they going? They are meeting in the temple courts. Now, eventually, the Jews will kick the followers of Christ out because they will see them as blaspheming. But early on, they would go to the temples, this large gathering. That's what the temple was, this large gathering, this corporate gathering of the people of God. So the early church followers of Jesus, they went to the temple to connect with one another and to connect with God. So for 2,000 years, the church on planet Earth has had a corporate gathering. And then during the week, they've had smaller gatherings, which we will see here in a second. So when we come together week in and week out, this is a corporate gathering where the people of God, followers of Jesus, come together to worship our king, to connect with one another and to connect with God. So that's connect. Number two, to accomplish our why, we will cultivate disciples and leaders. To accomplish our why, we will cultivate disciples and leaders. So we see that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So so they wanted to sit under the teaching of the apostles. I want to exhort you, and again, I know I'm speaking to the choir, but I also want to speak online. Listen, you need to find a local church where you sit under the teaching of God's Word. Like, you need it, and I need it. We need to sit under the teaching of God's Word. Now, here's what I would also say. I understand there are a lot of pastors out there with different techniques and different styles, different teaching styles. And I know that not everybody likes my style. Just like if you go to another church, you might not like that person's style. But here's what I want you to know. You should not ask a leader who teaches God's word to change their style of who God made them. Because here's what I would also say is that when it comes to how I pastor, my goal is not to keep people, but to oversee and pastor people. It is, jo- it is God's job to keep people. If I then change my job description to trying to keep people, then I might, I might start changing a lot of things in order to keep people. And if I start changing a lot of things to keep people, then we're no longer a church, but a country club. And, and, and so, yeah. 
And so that's why you need to find a church, and, and, and man, we want you to be here. That's the thing. We want you to be here, but, but what we want you to do is to, to, to sit under the teaching of God's Word. So they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, which also means that the apostles are devoting themselves to Jesus' teaching. That is the reason why. I am a Bible preacher and teacher. I only have one book that I know to preach, and that is the Bible. And so if you are attending a church that does not open up the Bible, please find another church. And if you are going to a church, they open up the Bible, but they never reference it ever again in their talk, you might want to again reconsider sitting under their leadership. We have one book that God has preserved for us and it is called the Bible and we are devoted to it we are committed to it we are faithful to it it is the Bible and and then we see that they are committed to doing life with one another verse 46 Luke says they broke bread in their homes so they, they were in the temple courts now they're in homes and so what are they doing in homes? Joshua, they're sharing a meal. They're doing life with one another. So they're cultivating community as they do life with one another. Well, what do they talk about? I bet you they talked about Peter's sermon. Man, oh, Peter, he was sure fired up today. Yeah, he was, man, man. I, you know, I thought that sucker was going to pass out. He was all red in the face. But man, did you hear what he said about Jesus? Did you hear about that teaching? Where, where, where Peter was talking about how, how every sphere of our life, how, how we relate to one another should be centered around Jesus. How our vocation and how we cultivate the raw materials of, of, of the earth, how, how they need to be centered around Jesus for God's glory. And, and then how, how we ought to steward and manage our household and how we ought to steward and manage our goods, how, how they should be revolving around Jesus. Man, that was good stuff. Sure, they're encouraging one another, but they're meeting in homes. And then we, we don't see it here, but you will see it later on in the book of Acts, particularly in Acts 6. You'll also see it in other parts of the New Testament of how there's this cultivating of, of leaders. We, we need to empower people to, to lead and to do the work of the ministry. We, we need more teachers. We, we need more servants. We, we need more people doing the work of ministry, and that is not just discipling, but it's also empowering and equipping leaders to actually lead, which is why we have hired an executive director of leadership development who can empower, who can help us train leaders. So not only are we cultivating disciples who are learning, who are learning what it means to be human after the image and likeness of Jesus, but we're also helping them learn how to lead. And then number three, we, we want to accomplish our why based upon how we care for people and resources. So to accomplish our why, we will care for people and resources. Luke continues to note, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. I, I'm telling you, I love this picture. I have never been a part, and I've been a part of a church since I was born that lived this out. I mean, we take care of needs. But do you realize in the early church, there was not a need among them because every time a need arose, it was met. 
That's the church I want to be a part of. So a couple things that I jotted down there. They were aware of needs in the body due to the togetherness of the body. If you're not connected to the body, we might not be aware of your need. I remember years ago, I had a lady got mad at me because she was in the hospital and I, and I didn't know and I didn't come see her. And I'm like, well, did you let anybody know? And you know what she told me? She said, well, it was on Facebook. <laughs> well, you know how many friends I got on Facebook? And you know that algorithm undoubtedly Mark Zuckerberg didn't want me to see that you were in the hospital. Like you need to let somebody else know, not just Facebook. Like, so if you want people to know your needs, you need to be in community. You need to be connected. And then also note this, the sacrificial generosity was tied to the relationship of the person or people to the body. Like we want to meet needs in the greater community. That's the reason why we have a lot of the programs that we have. Even some of our benevolence is, is, is allocated to those outside the community. But at the end of the day, sacrificial generosity was tied to the relationship of the person or people to the body. So in other words, the level of your commitment to the body determined their level of commitment to you. I want, you to, I, I, want you to, I want you to digest that one. Because, because if you're not connected and you're not committed to the body, then we're not going to move heaven and earth to try to, in some sense, meet the need in the body. Because you're not part of the body. And I know that might be hard for you to imagine, but think about it this way. If you don't see yourself as part of the Northland family, if you are part of the Northland family, just as any family member would do, would move heaven and earth to meet a need in the family. And that's the kind of church we want to be because we can't do it for everybody in the world. But what we can do is we can start with the body and we can implement sacrificial generosity so there's no need in the body. Well, Josh, give, me, give us some examples. Listen, if you, if you are jobless right now, and you are, you're part of the Northland family, and maybe you got laid off, maybe you even got fired. And, and you're struggling. We want to know because we want to come alongside of you. If there's, if there's some kind of medical issue that you have, maybe medical bills, and you need help, and you are connected to the north and body, we want to know. Because we want, we want to be a revolutionary church that care for the people that God has given us. And then the third thing about this was stewardship. They saw their belongings and possessions as ultimately belonging to God and a tool for his glory and others' good. So in other words, they, they looked at their gold, their silver, their land that they owned, and they're like, it's not ours. They're God's. God, how do you want us to use the land? How do you want us to use our silver and gold? Whatever you say, we'll do. Now, you do know this, if you've been here any amount of time, you know that every, you know, that I don't hound on finances or money week in and week out. You know that, don't you? I don't. Yeah, yeah, you, and I know there's there some people that would want me to do that. I even have pastor friends. You need to do it every week. I don't, I don't feel that. That is, that is not what I, that is not my conviction. Do you know what I want to do every week? I want to point you to Jesus every single week because week in and week out, if I point you to Jesus and I preach Jesus, Jesus transforms your entire life, including your finances and resources. So if I just preach Jesus, and so I don't want to guilt you into giving. 
I don't want to guilt you into giving of your time, your talents, or your treasures. I want to preach Jesus so he will transform you to give. Because here, here's what I truly believe. If Jesus has changed your heart, it means he's changed your nature and he's changed your what's to accomplish a new why. Here's a statement that I wrote down. The weight of our care for, for one another and our resources will determine our impact in our faith community and our capacity to impact our larger community. And what, what I mean by that is how we all are mobilized to care and to serve one another will, will actually, here's what it will, it will do, it will determine our impact with one another and it will determine our capacity to reach other people outside the community. So in other words, if we don't have enough people serving, I don't think God's going to send the people. And so, so what we have to do is that we have to care well for one another and the people that God wants to give us. And then number four is this, to accomplish our why, we will commission people to reach neighbors and nations. So what we see at the end of this chapter is that they're, they're enjoying the favor of all of the people and the Lord is adding daily to their number, those who are being saved. But, but we wanna commission people. And you're like, well, uh, who do you wanna commission? Yeah, people, you, every single one of you, if you are a follower of Jesus and you would say Northland is your home, is your family, we want to commission you to be a missionary because God has called us to be his missionary people in the midst of the world. And I promise you this, you have a greater potential and a greater reach to reach people far from Jesus at your work, in your subdivision, in your sphere of influence than actually I do. And so that's why we want to mobilize you to reach neighbors and nations for the good news of King Jesus and the glory of God. And so here's what I end with, and uh, I'm going to ask the band to come out and start kind of playing underneath so that uh, as they play, I might, even, I might even get a little excited here in a second. But, but here's a question that I want, I, I want to pose. How will we know we're living out the four C's? I think that's a good question. How do you know as a church if you're living out the four C's? Number one. There will be all in the midst of the church. So we, we see in verse 43, everyone was filled with all. Let me ask you this, are you in awe when you come here? Like I want us, and when I put on, on social media about corporate worship, I use a hashtag and I say expectant. I want us to be expectant that every single week we come here, God shows up. There's, there's a passage in Luke, actually Luke chapter one, where Zechariah, who was John the Baptist's dad, he was a priest. And it was his duty to go into the Holy of Holies this one time when, when the lot fell on him to go, it was his turn. So he goes into the Holy of Holies and an angel meets him and says, hey God, God sent me here to tell you that you and Elizabeth, you're going to have a son. And you know what Zachariah did? He's like, no, that can't be, we're, we're too old, we're too old. So he went into the Holy of Holies where the presence of God dwelt and he did not believe God could do a miracle. 
And see, I want us to come into the gathering every single week going, God, will you show up, please? I need a word. I need you to move. I need your power. I need your presence. I'm expecting that you will meet with me, that you will meet with us, that you'll pour your presence out, that you will do a mighty work in our midst. And I want us to be filled with awe. And when we are a church filled with awe, I promise you, there will be people out in the world, they'll catch a whiff of the awe that's filling this place, and they'll want to come check it out. Because did you know what the awe was towards? At the signs and wonders. So, so if we're doing these four C's, guess what? There will be signs and wonders. You say, Josh, uh, d- does God still do miracles today? Absolutely. Does he do medical miracles? Absolutely. He does things that, that just absolutely overwhelm the medical community at times. And then there are times where he actually uses the medical community to perform a miracle. Have you ever thought about the fact that God has given human beings the capacity because they have been formed and shaped into his image to be able to cultivate the raw materials of science to actually bring healing to our bodies. Listen, I'm telling you, that Tylenol, that other medicine, yes, it has been created by human beings who have been created in the image of God. So every healing on planet earth, whether it is through medicine or not medicine, is a miracle of God. And then here's another thing. Let me ask you this, do you think if there's a marriage out there and they're struggling and they're fractured and divorce is just looming, you, you mean to tell me that, that when the spirit of God begins to work on that couple, begins to heal hearts, begins to mend their marriage, you don't think that's a miracle? Oh, that's a miracle. You think there's some teenagers out there, they're, they're depressed, they're confused. Man, the, the world's saying this and they're like, what, what, who am I, what, what do I do? Man, I'm depressed. I don't have any joy. There's no purpose in my life, but but God gets a hold of their heart and says, I got a purpose. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I I got a plan for your life. There's joy in me. There's peace. There's security. And, and, And a student comes to know that and anchors their reality in his reality. That's not a miracle? No, that's a miracle. You're telling me that there's some people out there, they're enslaved to their sin. They need to be freed. And when the gospel is preached and the Spirit of God targets their heart, gives them forgiveness, and they experience freedom from their enslavement, freedom from their shame, freedom from their guilt, and they turn their life over to Jesus, they give their life to Jesus, that's not a miracle? No, that's a miracle. It's a miracle. That, that's why I want Northland to be a place of signs and wonders. I want us to be a place of signs and wonders. And then what we see, the, the third is unity. Everybody say unity. They were together and had all things in common. Listen, I'm not about uniformity. I'm not sitting here saying everybody needs to, to cheer for the Eagles tonight. That's not what I'm saying. There's only two things that a church should be fighting over. And that is the supremacy of Jesus and the unity of the body. It's the only thing we should be fighting for. 
And so in, in, in the early church, the revolutionary church, they had this, this deep-seated unity where they focused on the main thing. The common center was Jesus, and the common mission was the glory of God and getting the gospel out. And so we need to keep the main things the main things. The last two signs that we're doing the four C's is joy. Oh, we, we, we see that they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Here's the thing that I do know. I know this from experience. There's a lot of times where we are very tempted to receive our food with sour faces, not, not sincere and glad hearts. Well, why, why do they have glad and sincere hearts when they receive their food? Is because they are choosing to focus on the goodness of God even in an imperfect world. And see, this is one of the things that I feel like you can come to the gathering, to the worship gathering, and even though hell is raging in your life, you can still have the joy of God. You can have glad and sincere hearts, even through storms, even through trials, even in cancer, even in your addiction, even in your grief, even in your loss. There can be a joy because you are choosing to focus on the goodness of God. And then the last but not least is growth. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You do realize that church and churches can manufacture growth. I mean, we, we, I mean, think about it. Like professional ball teams, they can manufacture growth. Just get the right people to perform and you can increase your audience. But what we, we don't want manufactured church growth. We want divine activity growth where the Lord adds to their number. What's the difference? Well, I would say manufactured growth is reaching consumers where divine church growth is based upon life change. So we're not gonna tickle your ears because you don't need your ears tickled. I don't need my ears tickled. I don't need to be a tickle me Elmo. I don't need to stand up here and be able to tickle your little ears where you feel, oh my gosh, that was, he made me feel so happy inside. This is awesome. No, no, no. We need to be, we need to be challenged with the reality that God's doing something in our life, that he is forming us more into his image into this glorious image that he's making us fully alive as human beings through the power of the Spirit. And so the only way to, in some sense, get that across is to teach you the Word and to let the Word of God dwell in you richly and let the Spirit of God live through you. And as that happens, as that happens, God will give the growth. That He will give the growth. So, I want us... I want us to pray that we would do the what? The four C's so that we can actually fulfill the why we are here. Father, may you be glorified in our midst. Will you do a mighty work? You, you, I mean, you've already started. I mean, you have, you, you have definitely shown up in our midst to tell us that you are not done with Northland, but you, you, have, you have begun to stir our hearts in this, in this powerful way, and we want to ride the wave of the Holy Spirit. So what we want to do is we just want to surrender ourselves, and we want to, we want to kind of get out of the way. We want to say, here we are. Use us for your glory and others' good. We pray 
as a body that we would connect with you and with one another, that we will be cultivated more into the image of Jesus through discipleship. We'll be cultivated to lead and to be empowered to lead, that we will care for one another and the resources will be good stewards and then we'll be commissioned. There are so many people here in the Seminole County, Orange County, Volusia County and the surrounding counties and areas that need Jesus and we pray that we will be your commissioned people to reach people far from you. Spirit, do a work, do a work. We pray in the name of Jesus, you will do a work. Amen.